and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, scared. Whoa. Hang on now. Why is that? Because it's Halloween time. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Note to you, uh, include the scary music. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I actually would have, I might have forgotten. Indeed. Uh, and now listeners at this point know whether or not I remembered to put the scary music on. Yeah. Isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, but, uh, you know what's, you know what's scary? You know what would be scary? These deals. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say a world without movie. Oh, my. It's oh, terrifying. And you know what? It's, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. Like, you wake up, everything's the same, but there's no movie. Everything's the same, and yet everything is less than. Um, exactly. And uh, what's interesting is we've actually gotten uh, a fair number of emails uh, and comments and uh, tweets at us in regards to the movie sponsorship uh, saying, hey, I really I really like that service, and I'm glad they're associated with you guys. So that's... Two, that's two great tastes that taste great together. Whoa, hang on now. You got some, you got some movie in my BP. Um, okay. So, all right. Here we go. This episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best... Independent, damn it, David of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, movies curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download the films to watch offline. Now, there are a lot of great movies available right now. Among them, Joseph von Sternberg's The Blue Angel. Starring Marlene Dietrich and Emil Yannings. This is a wonderfully dark film about obsession and degradation that I, Tyler, cannot recommend highly enough. There is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi, that's M-U-B-I dot com, uh, slash Battleship to redeem now. Mubi.com slash Battleship. Battleship. Or you can click on the skyscraper at abattleshippretension.com. Either way gets you. But, but, gets but that's you the second, that's how we'd prefer it. Yes. Because we, like, we want to get the, that traffic. Indeed. That's but true. I'm assuming you're all on battleshippretension.com all day. All day, every day. Just, uh, you know, every 15 minutes you're hitting refresh, yeah. which is probably not going to get you. <laughs> we don't post things that often. Not that often, <laughs> no. But it, it is interesting because... Trying to increase, though. Trying to get more posts on the website. There is... A, there is at least one new thing per day there, which is uh, something that I'm, I'm yeah. proud of. So, I mean, today there were many new things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, we don't know. You were away from your computer all day. Yeah, but I see. I, I see uh, stuff in my uh, email chain okay. and all that. All right. Um, that's great. That's fun. Um, why don't you bring in our guest? No. Uh, I don't know one thing about this guy. All right. I don't, well, know, if, I don't know thing one. Well, he's, uh, he's a mystery, I like to think. Um, so in keeping with our theme of... Uh, friends and acquaintances of mine that were uh, uh, fans of the show and have names that are likely fake, Um, (laughs) going back to Eric 13 a few weeks ago, uh, we have on a a, a friend of mine named Danny Valentine. Yeah, how's it going? But now, okay, right off the bat, we'll get to know you in a second, but the name Valentine isn't as odd as the name 13. That's uh, a lot of Yeah, 13 sounds as um, fake as can be. Who's the, uh, there's a stand-up comedian, uh... Gary Valentine. Gary Valentine. Yeah. There's, um, the, uh, recent runner-up on Project Runway, Amanda Valentine. Uh, and her brother, whose name I forget, but he's in Maroon 5. Bob? It's probably Bob. Bob Valentine. Oh, Bob or Todd yeah. Valentine. There we go, yeah. 
But uh, uh, yeah, it's so yeah, it's are, are it you is related a real to yeah. any of these Valentines we just named? Uh, no, 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 no. <clears throat> well, you keep at it. You know, I'm, are you sure? I, not, like, I'm pretty. I mean, I don't. You actually, might be related to someone in Maroon Five. It's possible. It'd be regrettable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any opinions on Maroon Five. I yeah, I don't know if I've like so many uh, bands. I don't know if I've actually heard any of their songs, but I might have, and I don't know it. You probably, I, I, I won't try to do it because I am. Have it's never helped voice. me in the history of our friendship. But um, you probably have heard the. I think it's called This Love. Yeah, you, I think that's the only song that I know of by them. Yeah, This Love uh, is uh, awesome. Is that it? Is that how it goes? And then, and then also moves like Jagger, which is an awful, awful. Oh, song. that's that's also Maroon Five. That's, I'm pretty sure that's, that's like the worst song. It is oh, terrible. Like This Love has is it's earwormy in a way that doesn't bother me that much. I can kind of like. You can kind of just be static, but yeah, moves like Jagger is. I have heard that just song. Terrible. I uh, don't care for it. That song. Um, no offense to any listeners that do care deeply for that song. I don't see how that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, there's just there's some art that, out there that, that is song just... got some people through a lot of tough times. I'm sure. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> You're joking, uh-huh. but it has to be true. Right? Someone out there was like, thank God for moves like Jagger. It got me out of my funk and got me into a different funk. You know? So, um, yeah. So, uh, yes, Valentine is not as weird and obviously fake a name as 13. And I know Eric says, no, it's, a re- it's my real name. It clearly is not. But If he um, had it changed, it's his real name. That, true. Yes, that's right. true. Um, I, I never saw his license. Perhaps next time I should say, Eric, why don't you throw me that license? Because I'm tired of this. That's how I felt about. That's how I felt for years about Zaljernon. As you can attest, it bothered me to no end that one of our early guests who went by the name Zaljernon, I never knew his name, and it bothered the hell out of me. It doesn't bother you anymore? Or well, do you know his name now? I don't know his name I don't now. Know his name and it uh, it stopped bothering me because I stopped thinking about it. But you know what? Here we are. Uh, <laughs> he's back in my mind. And Zaljanon, I have to assume you're listening after all these years. Uh, why don't you shoot me an email? <laughs> let's return to the quite normally named Danny Valentine. Indeed, the mundane Danny Valentine. <laughs> uh, and as people can tell from uh, how readily I uh, make fun of him, Danny is a friend. He's somebody I have a fondness for because I uh, try to alienate everyone I know. So, uh, Danny, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Uh, from Colorado. Colorado. I used to live there. Yeah, Colorado Springs. I didn't live there. No. I lived in Parker once, though. But at Parker, mm-hmm. I, that's where I lived. Yeah. For like a year when I was like, Three, I think. I don't really remember it. Did you already know this about each other? You both lived in I, Colorado? I did not remember that. I did, but yeah. something here nor there. <clears throat> I know a lot of people, Danny. I can't keep track of everybody that has lived in Parker. <laughs> so how's Colorado? Uh, cold, probably. I don't know. How did, I mean, was it tough to, when you moved away, to adjust to the lower altitude? <laughs> did you uh, have, like, reverse altitude sickness? No, it was actually much easier. I can run really far with, with no problem at all. <laughs> You're like a superhero. Yeah, basically. Right. And your blood became extra thick. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like how Superman came to Earth and he's now, he's, you know, mundane on Krypton, but superpowered on Earth. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. When people <laughs> leave Colorado, oh man, they can do amazing things. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't tell that to too many people, but. Yes, I know. People, right. are, people are very proud of being from Colorado. It's, it's a nice place. I mean, it's, it's beautiful and everything. I just I ended up leaving mostly because I wanted to make movies, and there's nothing to do with movies out there. Indeed. Kind of a bummer. The one superpower you have in Colorado is always knowing where West is. That's true. <laughs> so 
That's it's very handy. Yeah, use like north, south, east, west in LA, and nobody has any idea where that is. It's like, yeah. and you don't need to. It's just like, all right, I know where's the four hundred five. That's all I need to know. <laughs> oh, you West Sider. <laughs> oh, the four hundred five. I take the four hundred five. I, I'm, I did I'm too say good. that. I'm too good for the one seventy now. You're 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 old. Uh, you know, uh, my old uh, haunt, my old stomping grounds. <laughs> I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say vain. Is that right? What would you call it? I have no idea. Anyway, it runs through the city like a vein, is what I was. Trying oh, okay, to say. got it. But yeah, it, yeah. It, it, yeah, it didn't sound right. Root, but, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. All Capillary. Right. Oh, that's not a vein. That's a different thing. That's a different thing. Is it? Is a different blood-related thing? Yeah, that's ah, gonna bug vessel, me. blood vessel. No, I was trying to think of something. Ah, <laughs> shit. Um. So, uh, Danny, what brought you away from Colorado? Uh, yeah, I moved out here um, about four years ago to go to film school. Where, <clears throat> at where LA at? Film school. At LA Film School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I graduated and have just been kind of living out here on and off between Colorado and LA for uh, like past two years, two or three years. Um, what? How was the LA Film School? That's the one on Sunset, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the one on Sunset. And it, what happens when you have to go there when there's the farmer's market that uh, uses the, the the parking lot, right <laughs> yeah it's sort of disaster i mean that's only on sundays so it's not that bad right no but way. i always think that when i go pa- we'll go past them there's a farmer's market i'm like i bet like people have projects due they're trying to get in to use the editing rooms and there's no place to park yeah the school actually doesn't really do anything on sundays which is kind of nice okay. there's not really much to do so it kind of shuts down it's like a monday through friday kind of thing which is really stressful if you have like a thesis film to do or something and you have to be there doing some you know editing right. or whatnot right so, but um, what, what what sort of film school is it? Is it you know Tyler and I went to Columbia College Chicago, which we're mostly happy with, but mm-hmm. it is uh, very much a sort of hands on, almost like a trade school. Like they yeah. teach you that are you know not a lot of film theory. It's more about this is literally how movies are made. What kind though of there was is there was a, a pretty good chunk of film theory. I was very I was very happy about that. If you yeah if you if you sought it out yes, yeah, but yes. you were not as a part of the normal curricul- curriculum going to learn. Much that much, is true. Much yes. film theory, or even much analysis, unless you wanted to. Yeah, you had to be be very purposeful about it. Yeah, I think that's kind of how LA Film was. It's you know, it's it's kind of a concentrated program. So it was um, like year and a half program, mm-hmm. which is essentially just gives you um, associate's degree. And so there's not really any concentration. You know, each month you have like a class on you know maybe cinematography or directing or whatever. But within that, you still have to have like. As you're making films in each month, you have to have a production designer for each class or, you know, a cinematographer or whatever. So it kind of leaves it up to you to to bring what you want out of it. And so, you know, for me, I mostly focused on uh, cinematography and directing. And it's it's one of those things where every month I was able to do something, you know, cool and productive. But there are some, you know, some people who would kind of, I think, want more of a structured approach. Mm-hmm. And, and there wasn't a lot of... Um, there wasn't a lot of analysis or film theory or anything there. There was like one or two courses on it, but a lot of it was just kind of up to you because we had teachers who would, you know, see us after class or whatever. We had a pretty extensive film library, so if you wanted to, you could learn about it. But it definitely wasn't like an active part of the program as much as it was just to learn how to make movies. When did you graduate? Uh, December 2011. And since then, you have been working regularly uh in the film business. Yeah, I, I've been uh, mostly working on set as either a electrician or a gaffer, just trying to stay busy, um, you know, trying to support myself out here in L.A. and just meet people and 
get on set as much as possible. That's it. We should, we should actually, that's not our topic today, but we should have you back someday to talk about that side of filmmaking because we've never really gotten that yeah, on the is, show before. It's something that we, uh, in talking about certain aesthetics of film, there are th- entire things that we haven't touched, not because we are uncomfortable with it, but because we just haven't gotten there yet. We've never done an episode about movie sound, which, at least in the in the classes I took at school, sound was emphasized so much as, mm-hmm. like, this is how you will sell your film, the reality of your film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no matter how it looks, yeah. no matter the script, the sound is how you, how you will create this reality. Yeah, I, remember, yeah te- I remember a teacher telling me that an audience will accept a movie with a bad picture and good sound much more than they'll accept a movie with good picture Absolutely. and bad sound. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, you would think that's weird considering it's a visual medium, but yeah. it's absolutely true. And so, um, but so like movie sound, we haven't talked about art direction and we haven't talked about, we've talked about cinematographers, but we haven't talked specifically about lighting and all of the stuff that goes into that both. Yeah. That's what, really what I want to talk about someday. Yeah. Someday we'll have you back and talk about literally the nuts and bolts of what it's a day to day life yeah. on set is for a gaffer. But what have you worked on anything we would know of? Uh, probably not. Uh, mostly just, um, a bunch of like low budget, you know, actually conveniently even mostly mo- low budget horror movies. I've been trying to kind of stay within that world as much as possible. Because um, that's your interest. Yeah, exactly. And so it's cool because I'll get to meet a lot of the times people who are really influential, either either people, you know, behind the camera or in front of the camera. And so I get to meet from time to time fairly famous, um, you know, horror icons or whatever. What is the best horror movie of 2014 so far? Uh, it's been a real bummer for... I don't even think I've seen a good horror movie this year, actually, which is which is kind of terrible. I've been trying to remember, like, there may have been some good festival films, but I don't think I've seen a good horror film. The closest thing that I could say is, is Godzilla, but it's not really much of a horror film. Right. It's more of an action film, but it's like yeah. a monster film. I can't so think of anything. Did you, did you see Annabelle? No, I didn't. Okay. Did you see, it's not a horror movie, but did you see The Guest? I forget. No, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, you'd love it, because you That's love great. your next, right? Yes, that movie's great. Yeah. What about the Purge Anarchy? Did you see that one? Uh, you know what? I did see that one. Um, I, I, I I didn't love it. I enjoyed it a lot. I don't know that I'd call it a horror movie. Yeah, it's, I, I mean, I guess if you want to categorize that as a horror movie, I think that's like the only horror movie I've seen this year, and it it was pretty good. Um, I think I liked it more than the first one because in the first I definitely one, liked it more than the first one. Yeah, there's like a lot of weird throwaway plot points, like the night vision car sequence that was completely unnecessary for the film and. Wait, when is that? That like the kid has like a remote control oh, car, right. with, like night vision See, goggles. Everything about <laughs> the purge, the, the first the purge is just a swing and a miss because it's a, it's a really fan, a really interesting premise. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. but uh, it, it still holds for like an exploitation like genre type movie holds a lot of promise in its premise. And the first purge does nothing with it, and the second purge, as much as it's not a horror movie goes all out and gives you all the things you would want to see from this kind of world. Yeah, I think the second one succeeds in being more allegorical, too. It's, you know, certainly a lot more clear what they're talking about. I mean, there is a little bit of the classism in the first movie, but it's I think it it works better from the perspective of of the people who can't, you know, get to a safe house. Okay, that's that. (laughs) <laughs> right. Okay, we're I, we're done with well, that. Well, let's put a pin in that because we're going to come back to horror, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to uh, talk before we get into the topic. Um, we should uh, we should uh, have another sponsor. Real Indeed. Quick. Yeah. Um, 
We're getting really good at segmenting these. I, I appreciate that. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Aperture, providing quality movie-making equipment at an affordable price. I know a number of independent filmmakers, like the person, my friend Danny here, sitting across the table from me, and they've often told me about the high price of equipment rental and the even higher price of, uh, to purchase the equipment. Aperture is committed to helping independent filmmakers and photographers achieve their dream without going bankrupt. To find out more, just click on the ad at battleshippretension.com. There we go. Danny, something to note for the next film that you make. Oh, very good. Yeah, you could be the hero of the set. You show up one day and they're like, we need a, a thing for this jib or whatever. And you're like, <laughs> aperture.com. And not only Got will you thing. know the thing they're talking about, <laughs> but you'll know where to get it. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you couldn't have seen more like a... First off, good for you knowing the term jib. That's fine. Well, we did go to film school. I know, but for a moment you seemed very, very dad-like. I don't know, like, uh, we need a thing for this uh, jib. Is that it? I think I heard my kid say that once. <laughs> um, anyway, what I want to talk about before we get into the topic is uh, the big news in movies this week. <laughs> you're, you're more annoyed than I am. <laughs> annoyed maybe isn't the word. Exhausted is um, the word. But, yeah, um, Disney's Marvel Entertainment Studios or whatever um announced their next half century of releases <laughs> um uh, and uh it I, I had no idea it was happening but it was apparently it was like a i didn't know about it beforehand but i guess this was a thing like an apple event where they unveil a new product like it was a literally a live event that people went to uh at the el capitan right no. uh, which is in hollywood which is where we were we were just talking about Hollywood. That's where the oh, Hollywood yeah. Farmer's Market is. Indeed, yes. That's where the Los Angeles Film School is. Um, that's not important. <laughs> uh, but no, they introduced about four score new movies and said, here are the release dates and here's going to be pl- who's going to be playing what roles, right? Yeah. Uh, but you have some thoughts on this. I do, both positive and negative. Um, one is that... It's neat to see this happen because we've never seen anything like this before in film history. Um, it's about as close as you can... I believe uh, I was reading an article about this by a friend of the show, Todd Vanderwerf, in which he... I think he nailed Who I ran it. into just the other day. Who how's, I ran into? How's he doing? Seemed, seemed to be all right. All right, fair enough. Um, I think he hit the nail right on the head when he said, this is basically a TV show with an episode every few months. Uh-huh. Um, a a two-hour-long episode every few months. Um and the way they're rolling it out, it's like when a show says we've been renewed, you know, we're renewing for another season or two or something like that. Um, or 32 in this case. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever you want to call it. And so uh, so it's 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 rare um, to see so new a development. And and even as uh, even as because I was I was astounded when we had. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Captain America, Thor, all leading into the Avengers, I remember thinking, this is a neat thing. And mm-hmm. the fact that they had the foresight, even from the very first Iron Man, to, to know where they were headed, I remember thinking, that's, that's a really neat thing. And then to see Phase 2 go into Age of Ultron, uh, and then just to look at, I mean, literally, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the idea that you could conceivably watch all of these films and get this whole world Mm -hmm. that is admittedly a pretty blandly directed world, but still um, get this whole world with these characters that interact. And you've never really seen anything like that before. And it's neat and exciting to me to look at that. Mm -hmm. 
But it does. I feel like it's. I feel like I, I know it's. It's probably old fashioned to me to say. I feel like in announcing the next five years, I feel like you're kind of robbing people of of the excitement of like not just seeing a trailer, but like even even the excitement of Comic Con saying, "Hey, here's what's coming out next year," or something like that, or in a year and a half, or whatever you want to say. You just um, you just rather it would have happened at Comic Con. <laughs> As opposed to having or its just, own event. Here's the thing: I'd rather one movie be revealed, or one, or like two movies be revealed. It's literally just here's everything mm-hmm. for the next five, next six years, you know. And it's just like, I don't know. There, there's. I like anticipation, but I feel like five years worth of anticipation might be a little much for me and. I don't know. It's hard no, to see, explain. Now, it's hard I, to explain. I can't even say why. I don't even think it's bad, but it's just I find it like I find it tiresome. I, I maybe feel, I, can't, I, I can't believe I'm going to be in the position of defending Marvel because I don't. I, mean, I, I think I, I, I've talked about it before. I'm pretty much checked out of the whole MCU, mm-hmm. um, Marvel Cinematic Universe for the uninitiated. Indeed, in, initiated. Um, so it didn't, I didn't feel anything, I mm. guess. It didn't have an, any impact on me. But now I'm going to be in the position of defending Marvel because I don't feel the way that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I think the main thing is, the main thing to remember is, as long as Marvel is, continues to be successful, these mo- these eight movies or whatever, isn't, it's not the only thing they're going to be doing. It's not like they're done making announcements. There's going to be... They might announce new movies, or more likely they're going to announce more TV shows. Yeah. If they keep being successful, they're not going to run out of stuff to do. Um, the 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 worry comes if if the if the bubble bursts on Marvel movies or on superhero movies or whatever. Um, poor Chadwick Boseman is going to yeah. be uh, frontlining a doomed movie in six years. And I guess maybe one of my concerns. And and it's an, it's possible this concern is is totally unfounded, knowing comic book movie nerds as I do. Um, when you ha- when you know what's what's coming, you know that all right. There's a two part Infinity War now. By the way, I was a comic book fan when the Infinity Gauntlet epic happened. I know about it. It's very exciting. I'm excited for it for the exact reason that uh, comic book movies sometimes bore me, which is, well, we know they're going to make it. Mm-hmm. I've read the Infinity Gauntlet. They don't, spoilers, nobody makes it, ever. They die in a horrible way. Uh-huh. And so it's like, oh, that's going to be fun to watch. Um, but, uh, the, so, but that's the thing, like, by having... Like is the are people going to be as interested in the Captain Marvel movie, knowing, or are they just going to watch it because they feel like, well, I just need I need to see it on my way to the big one that I care about. But I feel like that, I feel like it kind of just almost tonally just give it gives it like short shrift. I don't. Know, but hasn't Marvel kind of made its name by making surprisingly big and popular movies out of characters that aren't the top tier characters. Yeah. I feel like guardians of the galaxy is a good example. Cause that's not really, I mean, apparently it's, it's tied into the big Marvel universe eventually, but I don't think people want to see that just to hold themselves over for Avengers two or anything. I feel like that that's one where you go to see that because it's so, you know, different. It's not what we're expecting. 
it's not the the typical like superhero on earth kind of movie. It's like this whole other world that people get to see. So it's being disconnected like that worked for it. But <clears throat> do you think it's because looking at the slate and knowing where we need to end, which is the Infinity War, um, which has a, of course it's a very cosmic thing. It, it's not just Earthbound. So they need to bring in Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> like they need to bring in Doctor Strange. They need to bring in Captain Marvel. And the fact that, like, okay, for this big thing that everybody wants, we're going to need to bring in these smaller things. Doctor Strange isn't necessarily small, but Captain Marvel is. Um, we're going to need to bring in these other things that people don't necessarily care about. The neat thing about Guardians of the Galaxy is that there have been different uh, incarnations of it, and it could be any number of things, and so people never knew quite what to expect. Captain Marvel in the, Mar- in the Marvel Universe is, there's more of an expectation about what he's supposed to be, but he's never been viewed as an essential hero wait captain marvel yeah i thought that was a she no no oh okay you're thinking of um the wasp no, i'm thinking of something <laughs> um but uh who am i thinking of oh well it's not important but yeah and so i feel like it's uh i guess part of my concern is is did they incorporate characters somewhat in a in a perfunctory fashion uh fashion Simply because they know, like, all right, we, we, we should probably bring this in because otherwise the big one that we actually care about won't make as much sense. And I don't know. It's, it's weird. I, I, again, I can't even put – because I'm sure it will turn out fine. Okay. According to the internet, Captain Marvel is a woman. Carol Danvers. Well, I do. Okay. Captain Marvel. Uh, I think there's probably I think there different. have been a few because I – all right. If I'm not mistaken, I believe – the female Captain Marvel, I think, is the one that Rogue absorbed enough power from to be able to have super strength and flight. Okay. Well, in any case, the Captain Marvel they're announcing in the MCU is going to be a woman. Okay. Hmm, that's interesting. The only comics that I have that are Captain Marvel are when he's a man, but yeah, I don't know that it really matters, a character like that. Yeah, it's, I feel like that's a... You have an opportunity. It's like, okay, well, there's Captain Marvel as a man, Captain Marvel as a woman... And since it's both, I feel like, why not do this and have a nice change of pace? Right, a little more interesting to get, like, a yeah. female front character. Yeah, and which is something they've taken a lot of flack for, and it's and it's neat that they're doing Black Panther as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, so and that's the thing. So some things are, are exciting to me. I, I'm intrigued to see uh, a Doctor Strange movie just because it will feel so tonally, not unlike the, the Thor universe, it'll feel so tonally different. Uh, than the other films because it deals in mysticism and a, and a supernatural spiritual quality to it I, that I think is interesting. So again, I'm not I'm not saying this is inherently bad. Uh, I'm not even necessarily saying that the rollout is bad because it's still fun to anticipate. But I guess mm-hmm. part of me just worries about is it are people like you said the bubble might burst, and when you say like here's five five years worth of things as opposed to. I feel like if you if you give them like hints here and there, just you reveal it as time goes on. I think it's enough to get you from one thing to another, as opposed to someone being like, "Shit, I gotta stay. I gotta wait five fucking years for Thanos." <laughs> you know. Um, let, one more thing about this, and then we can move on. Okay. This is my issue with this. Not that I have a big one, but my concern, uh, and this ties into Todd Vanderwerf calling it like a, a, a more of a TV show. Mm. Um, one of the things that is uh, notably different or at least more emphasized in cinema than in film 
is the, than in TV. I mean, is that film is uh, a director's medium, mm-hmm. and are they by announcing six years worth of movies and announcing zero directors for any of them? Yeah, are they making the director unimportant to their story? Well, you know, it's interesting. I never know how you say his last name. Is it Kevin Feig? I have no idea. Okay, but you know who I'm talking yep. about. All right. He's the showrunner. Right. Yeah, like yeah, in yeah. TV, director isn't as important. It's how you can get notable directors like a, a Nicole Hollis Center and, and any number of, of other like directors that have made great movies right. and make them and they do good work on television, but it's never viewed as theirs. It's viewed as the showrunners. And I feel like Kevin Feig or Feige, however you say it, right. I feel like he has really emerged as like get wh- whatever Whatever director, it doesn't really matter. If somebody has too much of a vision like an Edgar Wright, we'll get rid of him, mm-hmm. and we'll just go with whoever whoever uh, brings my vision to life. And so even in that, I feel like it's like a TV show. I feel like that's been the case from the beginning, though. Like <clears throat> None of the Marvel movies are particularly different. They all have the same like Marvel look. Like You could turn on Captain America 2 and then jump over to... like. Thor and you feel like you're watching mm-hmm. more or less the same movie with but, the exception of like the different rules of magic versus science. And the Do you think they went in with that idea of <clears throat> the aesthetic or do you think John Favreau helped create that? I think John Favreau brought a lot of comedy to it, but I think that the visual aesthetic was totally like not his choice in my opinion. I mean, cause that you look at like the Avengers is the only one which I think has any visual flair than maybe gardens of the galaxy it takes. I think it takes, you know, a really visual director to bring, like a unique look to it. Cause I feel like gardens of the galaxy looks like a unique film, but at the same time, looks like a Marvel film, same thing with Avengers, but then like yeah. Captain America just looks like Captain America. to I mean, it doesn't look like anything, you know, special. I think every film has a certain degree of flair that will only ever get to about 70%. Like at the, cause Cap, even Captain America has a couple nice moments that are distinct to, that are unique to it like like the the star spangled man montage mm. is a lot of fun and it's and that's tonally that's something that's that could not be more specific to that film same with the thor movies the way they're written they each one does have its own it does have each one does have its own thing but but yeah it is it is a bummer that each one is not going to be a complete individualistic thing but it does make sense to me why it wouldn't be um, but it isn't because Iron Man came out the same year as the Incredible Hulk. And while officially Incredible Hulk is part of the, uh, based on that last scene, uh, or the post credit scene, it is part of the, uh, the MCU. Um, but it doesn't look the same as the others. And I feel like if that had been the bigger film than Iron Man, not merely financially, but also critically, uh, Perhaps the other films wouldn't have the sense of humor that Iron Man does. I, you know, I haven't seen the, uh, the Incredible Hulk because I was just not really not a huge fan of Ang Lee's Hulk, and I just I didn't know if they were trying to keep it in the same direction or not. But no, yeah, um, it, I, I've heard, I, I'm sure it's not anywhere near the same film now that I've like watched. I rewatched the Incredible Hulk fairly or the first Hulk fairly recently, and realized mm-hmm. it's just totally like out there. Like, none yeah, of the movies are going to look like that. None of okay. I'm very much in the minority when it comes to Ang Lee's Hulk, but boy, wouldn't it be nice for that level of auteurism and distinct choices, whether they work or not, wouldn't it be nice to have something like that in the MCU? Um, 
but are you saying for sure that we? Because I, I do feel like John Favreau's stamp is on Iron Iron Man, and I mm-hmm. feel like, um, especially in particular the Asgard scenes, Kenneth Branagh is, uh, is is apparent in Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy, so I don't know if it feels like a James Gunn uh, film or not. It has moments, not as much, obviously, as I would have liked. Um, yeah, okay. But, uh, I mean, The Avengers feels like Joss Whedon. Yeah. So I'm not saying for sure that they that they aren't going to. I mean, I, I, that's, I think I just named like every one of the MCU films that I've seen, so mm-hmm. I don't have any other uh, input. But... Um, so I'm not saying for sure that they've already lost something, mm-hmm. but I just wonder about announcing that many films without announcing directors, if that yeah. signals a change. Yeah. And maybe that's the... Uh, or maybe the change started with the firing of Edgar Wright. Ooh. Maybe. But I mean, they, it's not like they got... Uh, I don't know. It depends on... I, I guess people have different opinions of Peyton Reed, but Peyton Reed is not a director without his own sense of character and personality i can't immediately place who that is oh he did down with love which is oh, probably his best film you and i like that movie yeah down with yeah. love is great he also did bring it on which a lot of people like and which i need to revisit because i don't remember liking it very much mm-hmm. and he's done some other stuff yeah it's you know something that occurred to me is is when you're not mentioning because i mean even as far as stars they mentioned chadwick boseman and they mentioned um benedict cumberbatch even though is that still rumored or is that confirmed i have no idea okay um, it was strongly rumored, if if that makes sense. Um, but they didn't mount, uh, announce like Captain Marvel or or a lot of other casting decisions, uh, or and like really almost no directors. And so, really, it's just in many cases just titles. Like I don't know what the hell Ragnarok means, and maybe people who follow Thor, maybe they know what that means. Um, but I don't know. Wait, what, isn't it like the is that thing with Apocalypse? Oh. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is it's a Netflix series with John uh, uh, John Hodgman, right? I don't know about that. Oh, yeah. um, but I thought Ragnarok was like the sort of whatever the Norse religion or whatever, okay. or Viking religion or whatever, their idea of the end of the world is Ragnarok. Oh, that's right? neat. I don't know if that's true. I, I could be wrong. I, I thought it might be a character's name or something like that. And so, uh, and and maybe maybe this is for diehard fans because for me the big thing is okay infinity war and based on footage of uh the announcement when it said avengers infinity war part two uh part one part two um and people just flipped out at that and they saw thanos with the infinity gauntlet and all that sort of thing now i have an association with it so to me with the exception of maybe doctor strange it's really just like all right so i'm just going to be these are just names to me. These are just uh-huh. titles to me that mean nothing that I'm just going to have to endure on my way to the thing I want to see. Uh-huh. Um, but maybe for other people, it's not that maybe they're excited about every single one. I am admittedly from what I've heard about civil war. I'm kind of excited about that. Okay. Um, you look like you had something to say there. Dan. Okay. No, I was just gonna say, I just, I, I read the civil war and I thought that was a really cool, um, a really cool running, so I'm kind of excited about that, but I am a little bit exhausted at the rate at which they're coming out with movies, because it's almost like, <clears throat> it's so scheduled that it 
it it doesn't seem like fresh anymore. It's like okay, you know what you're gonna expect in like two years from now. You know what film you're gonna be watching, and you know in May or whatever it is. Yeah, I do also wonder. I do also worry a little bit about actor burnout. Like, at what point does Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, and like all the rest? At what point are they going to be say I don't know going through the motions, phoning uh-huh. it in a little bit? <laughs> well, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, Let's do uh, one more ad. Okay. Or two more. Uh, yes, indeed. Okay. Uh, and maybe others in the future. <laughs> yeah, maybe if you're listening to this in the future, there are more. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that, everybody. Um, all right. This episode is also sponsored by the Double Feature Podcast. This week, talking about The Mist and The Dead Zone. In this episode, they talk about Stephen King and the idea of the auteurist director versus the famous writer. In their discussion about The Mist, they talk about what the film says about religion and that it might not be what you'd expect. To listen to this and other episodes, just click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. Once again, the Double Feature guys having very interesting conversations about yeah. interesting movies. Yeah, they're kindred spirits. Indeed, very much so. Uh, and when you listen to Double Feature, you should be doing doing so through your TweakedAudio.com earbuds. Tweaked Audio makes professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, and you can find those at TweakedAudio.com. And if you go to TweakedAudio.com slash pretension, you get all of that for one third off and no shipping charges. So go to TweakedAudio.com slash pretension. All right, let's uh, thirty-seven minutes in, oh, um, or more, if you're listening to it in the future, possibly. Uh, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Uh, it's horror time. That's what that's what I, that's what October is, it's right? Horror o'clock. <laughs> yeah, from October first to October thirty-first, the clock only reads. Uh, it's a broken clock that's right twenty-four hours a day. <laughs> it's horror o'clock, um, and we are specifically. Because uh, because Danny is here and he's a fan of this particular decade and he's wearing his Joe Dante's The Howling T-shirt. We're going to be talking about the horror films of the 1980s. Um, why Every did you, single one. Yeah. <laughs> Get comfy. Uh, why did you want to talk about this? Uh, I, I feel like in horror there's no other no, – not any other time period that's as distinct for having as, – you know, as known for having so many good movies in a row as the 80s. Like there's certainly – there's great horror films all the way back, you know, to the early, early days of silent cinema, like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you know, or, uh, Nosferatu or vampire vampire. But there's, I feel like in the eighties, there was just this perfect storm of, of, you know, special effects and, and certainly the people that were creating the films coming, you know, like you've got your, uh, John Carpenter and all of that combined with, uh, you know, something about, you know how interesting the time was that we had like a perfect storm of horror movies coming out you know there's like every year there's like a distinct memorable horror film and i feel like the 80s really is what horror is like now anything made horror i feel like has to harken back to the 80s more than any other decade do you think you mentioned john carpenter and now halloween came out in the 70s but halloween 2 came out in 80 or 81 i think right which he had no part of um but i'm uh, what i'm saying is i I wonder if this '80s horror boom has can be traced to Halloween, um, and and if the fact that um, yeah you mentioned all mentioned all the you know a lot of horror movies came out obviously uh, leading up to the '80s, 
but the idea of the horror franchise is really tied to the 80s. The Halloween Halloween became a franchise in the 80s. Yeah. Friday the 13th started in the 80s. Nightmare on Elm Street. By the time we got a Psycho 2, it was the 1980s. Like <laughs> yeah. even like old franchises yeah. they were or old films they were franchising. Um and I um I wonder if it can all be tra- traced back to Halloween, but I also also wonder what was what was the thirst for these multi-series multi-part series uh in the 1980s um do you have any thoughts on yeah the I f- franchises i feel like franchises um a lot of the time were tied into like slasher films you had like your friday the 13th and your halloweens and Nightmare on elm street which have the most you know the most film counts of any of those those movies um in the 80s and i feel Does like Nightmare on elm street count as a slasher i film? think so even though it's, it's it's a little bit more of like metaphysical obviously yeah, taking th- place in the dream space and stuff. I think it does in the sense that it, it's about, you know, depending on how loosely you want to define a slasher, it's a group of teenagers being killed one by one until one of them figures it out and then, you know, stands up against the, the horror villain or right. whatever. Um, and certainly the, they get more and more like slasher movies as the as the series progresses, but I feel like the first film is less so a slasher. The second one is barely a slasher at all because that's Freddy possesses a kid and it's all kind of... It's weird. It's not really like the the other one. I've only ever seen the first one. Oh well, just stop there. It's it's fine. <laughs> um, but you know, you had like Halloween came out in 1978, and I actually rewatched it tonight just for this. And you know, pretty immediately after that, they went to make Friday the 13th. Like as soon as they saw that, you know, they're like, "Oh, this is this is incredible. Let's go make a, a horror film." And they went out and made Friday the 13th, and then Halloween two came out the year after, and then they just like every year these films came out in sequence, uh-huh. and I almost feel like there was just like this terrific like one off one upsmanship you know i wonder because i think a lot of people uh look to the 80s as this is where the franchise came from and i think a specific franchise yes but it's certainly not a new thing when you think of son of frankenstein house of frankenstein you know and just different dracula movies not always the same actor but the same character and its name recognition and that sort of thing uh, not always necessarily the same producers, uh, often the same studio. But um, I feel like that mentality is certainly not specific to the 80s. That kind of thing has has always been the case, the idea of like, well, this was really popular. We can make more money from this. Um, but yeah, it did. It, it definitely does seem to... Uh, <laughs> This maybe isn't the best way to phrase it. The 80s seem to have perfected it. Uh, well, wonder, just sort of almost being like, okay, we know exactly what people want. Let's just pare it down to that, get really creative with our gore effects, and there we go. Well, I wonder if, and maybe I'm now borrowing into the 90s a little bit here, but I wonder if home video has anything to do with that. Mm. Because some of these franchises, you look at the Howling franchise or the Children of the Corn franchise, not all the movies even came out in theaters. Yeah. Um, uh, and I wonder if that is why we see uh, so many of these at this time, that home video was available and maybe production methods were or distribution methods were cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that certainly has a, has a, a large part of it because you know you even had like in the 50s you had the hammer movies which were as much of a franchise as anything you had like all the dracula movies mm-hmm. and all the frankenstein movies and the mummy movies and they made every every monster that universal ever adapted into a film into their own franchise you know in hammer and they they made like six or so frankenstein movies or six or seven you know dracula movies but i feel like something to do with you know 
VHS tape, being able to go to the store and, and get another, you know, horror movie, whether or not it was, it was one that was in the theater, definitely had a large part with a lot of people's early love for horror. Um, I know personally for me, my, it started kind of when I was younger and I would go to the, I would go to the, you know, the, the store with my parents and I would like sneak back into the horror section or whatever yeah. and like look at the, the box sets and I had no other exposure to it. But like being able to go to a horror store, even if your parents weren't really into the idea of feeding that, uh-huh. you know, appetite, you could still go there and, and get kind of like a little bit of an experience just by seeing the box art and everything. Yeah. That definitely has a, a large part of it. And there's some franchises that exist only on video, like the Puppet Master movies are only a made to video franchise, but they've made 10 of them at this point. Wow. I've never seen any of those. I didn't even know that was specifically video. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I just assume, I, I naturally assume, well, surely one of them <laughs> was in the theater. Surely. Um, uh, you know, the, you made me th- think of something um, that, uh, okay, so right now as we're doing this, my wife and her friend are at home um, getting their costumes ready and carving pumpkins while watching horror movies. And so I think uh, to tie into this home video thing, I feel like horror movies have the specific niche of watching it at home in the dark. And it has this mm-hmm. sort of like, I don't know, either like date night or slumber party or there's all these there's all these sort of templates for home movie watching no. that lend themselves very easily to watching horror movies. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if that has has part of is part of why there are so many of them at this time. There's a. There's a story that – okay, so I have read a lot of uh, Rex Stout, uh, Nero Wolf books. <laughs> I've read probably 12 of them. There are many, many more. Um, and that uh, – uh, I forget what uh, company uh, reprinted them, but they would often – but every one had a, a foreword by uh, a famous author who loved these books – there's one by Elmore Leonard, and it was, it was very interesting to read those. And uh, one of them, I forget who it was, but it was a, a crime novelist who said that when he was a kid, he went to the library and he asked the librarian, like, hey, what, you know, what do you think, you know, what's, what's good? What would I like? And he gave him a, a Nero Wolf book. And he said, I, came, I read it. I tore through it in like a day or two. And I came back and I said, this was great. Are there any more of these? And the la- librarian said, there are dozens <laughs> and it's just, and it's this attitude, I think, which is why, you know, I think there's something specific to why teenagers and young people seem to enjoy it more than anybody else. And I think it's because there's a, there can be a, a freshness to it. And this idea of, you know, when you're a kid and you see something you like, you just want more of that. And I think in the eighties and especially when just special effects every year, there's just more possibilities being realized. And so you got young people saying, this is great. Is, is there more of this? And the studio's like, um, no, but there can be give us uh, two months and uh, we'll, we'll have something for you. Uh, and then of course that combined with the video thing, cause then you have, well, I'm going to go to the video store. Hey, what's this? This has an interest. Uh, amazing box art i'll watch that hey that's great is there more are there more of these well there's a few more in the at the store and there's one coming out in a month at the theater and it's just this it's it's amazing too because i watched uh there have been a couple documentaries made about the rise of the slasher film but also 80s horror and there they went you know horror movies went Name from some of these documentaries 
Uh, I've never they're, seen they're just those like hour and 10 minute things on like Netflix, you okay. know, but they're interesting because clearly they're made by people with passion for the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting that, you know, the fourth uh, Friday the 13th was like number one at the box office, beating out movies that had a way higher budget that had stars and all that. And it's just right. There was something about and it. To- I mean, it totally burned out by the end of the 80s. But for a while, these were then, the most bankable movies, especially Saw for how much and paranormal activity yeah. came and brought it back. I mean, yeah, paranormal well, Scream, Scream came and, and brought it back. Yeah, but, but I mean, the specific thing you're talking about where paranormal activity movies cost about sixty thousand dollars to yeah. make and make yeah. uh, tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, I don't think until Saw that you had another horror franchise come back like year to year like that because Scream yeah. Scream burnt out with Scream Three, and it took them yeah, yeah. a long time to make Scream Four because they ran out of you know ideas to do with that that whole that whole like sort of super hyper aware kind of thing yeah. burn out quickly but with like saw it was like the first time which is one of the reasons why i defend saw so much even though they're not necessarily good movies so it's like oh you know there's finally another franchise that lasted seven movies and they may not all be the best but it's just the idea that it, it shows that we could you know someday get back to that like i was thinking about like the friday 13th movies i remember you know when i discovered those it was like uh, I go to the go to Blockbuster and I watch like three minutes. I go there and get the VHS, come back, watch it, and then just go immediately back to Blockbuster. I'm like, all right, give me the next one, you know. And they like ran out. And they're like, well, we don't have part four. <laughs> you have to go somewhere else. <laughs> um, but I just that idea that like, yeah, I think horror fans have a, or at least I can speak for myself saying that horror fan, you know, horror for me is is something that I have like an insatiable appetite for, and I don't really like tire out with watching a similar situation because it's the thrill of you know you're putting yourself in that situation as a character you're facing something that everybody has to face like a very primal experience you mm-hmm. know and if you can go into that and get something out of it it's not going to really get tiresome at least for me um one more thing about this proliferation of franchises do you think um uh foreign distribution also added into this at the time like that that being a burgeoning market and the idea of having recognizable properties to give here's eight of these at once to sell to to japan or whatever you're talking about with saw or with with like in the 80s? no in the 80s <clears throat> i i mean i think so i think that like because with friday okay tell me if i'm wrong here about friday the 13th are, aren't there foreign cuts of the movies that have that are more graphically violent than the ones that were released in american theaters i'm not sure about the majority of the Friday Thirteenth films, even though that's like my beloved franchise, the one I uh-huh. watch the most of. Um, the one thing I can say is that I know, like Friday Thirteenth Part Seven, is like the most tame of them, and they took out all of the the horror scenes. And I don't think there's an extended cut because you have to go on YouTube and look at all the like original cut kill scenes, and you'll see like the dailies that they had when they were editing huh. the movie, and, and it was like some people thought too violent for theaters or whatever. But it would make sense if that were to, I don't know, actually know anything about that, but it makes sense because a lot of, you know, Italian releases of horror films were a lot more violent or, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, my favorite movie, Dawn of the Dead, the original 1970 Dawn of the Dead, the Italian version of that is shorter. It's like more violent and there's less story. It's just kind of like jumps right into it and just, uh-huh. you know, it's just basically people killing each other or I mean killing <laughs> zombies for the majority of the film. And there's a lot of Italian knockoffs. So I feel like the foreign market probably played a large part into that because there's so many, you know, Italian films that are <laughs> mimicking American films. Um, and, you know, of course there's other countries as well. I just can't think of any like 
Okay. There, there are other countries. Well, I, <laughs> what I mean is there are other, there's other countries. <laughs> but I, I can't think of any right, right now. We're big into uh, putting out a bunch sure. of you know, horror movies that were similar to American films. But I think Ita- you know, Italian films did it the most. Uh, all right. Well, let's get into let's get into what some of your favorite. So you mentioned Friday the Thirteenth is your your franchise. Yeah, I, I've seen exactly zero Friday the Thirteenth <laughs> movies. I have to admit, I've um, not seen. I don't think I've seen the. F- oh no! Hang on. First one is the mom. Yeah, the first right. One okay. The mom. I think I saw that. Spoiler. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I saw Scream, and they say that you know, yeah, and know. that's one of the yeah. questions. And then I've seen a. F- I I don't even know. I know when he goes to Manhattan. That's part eight. Theoretically, um, in the, like the last twenty minutes of the movie, and the, yeah. the, for the first uh, forty minutes of the movie, he's on a on a yacht. And um, it's probably Vancouver anyway, or something. Yeah, it probably. Is. <laughs> yeah, and so I saw that, and then I saw the one where he gets the mask. Yeah, which is, I think the, the third one. And before that, I haven't seen this, but I've seen scenes from it where he just looks like a hillbilly with a bag on his head. Yeah, he's got the bag head or whatever. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, inside, and I did see Jason X. Evil gets an upgrade. I don't, David, I don't know if you know that. I didn't know um, about this upgrade. Um, That's a regrettable film. Everything, everything about that, even the tagline, just sounds like, doesn't it sound like the net where some studio guy, he's like, I've just heard this word upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to have something to do with technology. Can we have, can, we have, can people get upgraded? Is that a thing? <laughs> um, now, so David was asking you about some of your favorite films, but you and I were talking about uh, the format of this episode, and this might be asking the same question, but I know that you put together a list of movies that you love, but you also think epitomize the 80s horror genre. Yeah, I put together a list. It's not necessarily my my top 10 of these movies, but I tried to come up with what I thought was the most, um, at least to me, the most iconic films of the 80s that were... <clears throat> You know, starting with like, I wrote them in no particular order. You want me to just go through lists, or you just one at a time? Uh, well, maybe we, we, one we at a time. Stop you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I put on Night uh, Nightmare on Elm Street was the first one I thought of. Um, the Thing, The Shining, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, The Return of the Living Dead, Hellraiser, mm-hmm. which I think is the only one that these other than The Shining that's actually like, well, I guess the Thing they're actually like scary. Um, Day of the Dead, Evil Dead, Child's Play, and Poltergeist. Now, um, what do you think binds all those together? Because I feel like, off the top of my head, The Shining, Hellraiser, and Poltergeist all feel very different than than each other and than the majority of what you're talking about. Well, I, I tried to um, grab films that, that sort of encompass all the different sort of subgenres or, or tonal differences in, in horror films in the 80s. Like, you know, the thing... And, and The Shining are really terrifying films, but then Return of the Living Dead is like a real true horror comedy. And I think it's mm-hmm. important, you know, in the in this era. So you're not saying this group, you're you're not saying all these movies have something in common other than the decade of their Right. In, in fact, the exact opposite. They're all I the see. most like spread out group of, of movies I could think of that I were see. like in a top 10 that kind of encompass, you know, as a whole, they could encompass, a, you know, a microcosm of the style of 80s horror films. Because I think when I think of 80s horror movies, <clears throat> I think of a lot of the ones you mentioned there, um, like Nightmare on Elm Street and like Child's Play. And because it's tied to this slasher thing we were talking about, uh, I think of 80s horror movies as being like they get a rhythm where every so often someone gets killed. Yeah. You know, and it moves like that. That's there's there's X number of kills per movie. And you sort of just it's almost like a chapter, like working up to the next one. Um, 
but something like The Shining or Poltergeist doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's those are more. Uh, I don't know. I guess a little more existential or psychological. Yeah, and they're also um, a lot more paced. I think that mm-hmm. you know, like The Shining doesn't really show its teeth until the very end of the film, but it's it's just a very dreadful film the whole you know the whole way through. It's like this, you know, kind of know what's coming, mm-hmm. and the whole time it's just like watching this you know slow train wreck of him losing his mind and eventually you know killing his family so like a film like that is is interesting because it's so it's so quiet and so slow versus mm-hmm. like friday the 13th is like okay every 10 minutes like we got to kill somebody like right as fast as possible like and each kill has got to be with a different weapon and a different right. body part or whatever you know every film in the friday the 13th uh genre feels like a machine but then or every kill feels like a machine going through and it's like you know a clock but then you got like hellraiser which is like i think like except for the have you guys seen hellraiser yeah okay except for the montage there's really not any killing in the movie it's it's more I, or less just the yeah. idea of these beings yeah, and that's the thing about hellraiser real, uh, real quick sorry so the thing about hellraiser that i um well i, I really like that movie but um unlike say child's play to use that example again which has technically has a mythology of like how this killer got trapped in Adele's body, but it kind of like dispenses with that pretty quickly as just like, here's the premise. And then it gets to the kills. Mm. Whereas Hellraiser, unlike a lot of these other eighties horror movies is, a, is more about its mythology. And I, that's why I don't think as much as it has things that are horrific in it, I often don't think of Hellraiser when I, th- even though I wrote it down on my list, I don't think of Hellraiser when I think of a horror movies. Mm because uh, it, it's a weird it's weird and it's Clive Barkery and it's its own thing yeah well that's the thing too is that you know I think a horror movie can be a lot of things it doesn't necessarily have to be scary you know I think a lot of people think of horror movies as strictly being something that frightens you to watch it but you know like a Hellraiser is disturbing in a way but it's certainly not I wouldn't think of it as scary I just think it's disturbing or unnerving you know uh-huh. but it does it to such a degree and I feel like the intention of the director gives you that that feeling that takes it from being just like a thriller to like a horror film with the level of, you know, I, I feel like more than anything else is just the, the, the creatures in that movie, like accelerate mm-hmm. it to a horror film. Cause otherwise plot wise, it may as well just be a thriller, you know? Have, now have you, I've never seen any of the Hellraiser sequels and there are a ton of them, right? Yeah, there is, I think there's a total of, let's see, there's nine and then they made like, uh, a new one to maintain the copyright. They made it in like two weeks. It's like <laughs> found footage or so. I, that's the only. It's that's the one with Mr. Fantastic and the thing, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's the only one that doesn't have the same guy um, as right. as Pinhead. It's like the only time he wouldn't come back, and he's like here for like seven or eight or whatever uh-huh. sequels, and he won't come back for this other one. So it kind of tells you how many of these have you seen? I have seen I think the first six Hellraiser movies. Do they do they start to become a little more cookie cutter? Do they start to resemble other slasher or other types of it, horror movies? It's actually really weird how the, the series transforms because the first one and the second one feel very much a part of the same series, but then they begin to kind of derail quickly because the third one, not so much, and maybe even the fourth one, but the like fifth one on they're actually not even using Hellraiser scripts. They had a bunch of scripts that they're just sitting on. <laughs> And so <laughs> they've already bought these scripts, and rather than paying a writer to write a new Hellraiser movie, they're like, well, we have this script, so we'll pay 
some guy to add in pinhead uh-huh. in the middle of the movie. <laughs> and so they're like, it's, you know, one was about like, it's like a, a cop following this like serial killer, but somehow it's related to pinhead or whatever. And they get to be like completely insane. They don't, it cuts, it cuts back to him in a library, <laughs> sitting in a chair, reading the story you're watching from a book. You know, one of them is not too far from that. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's, it gets pretty crazy. Like, one of them is like, the you know, the guy's like been dead all along or whatever, and he's like in hell with the Cenobites, but he's but it's clearly not supposed to be that in the original film. It just, uh-huh. They just like shoehorned it in, so it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, I can't think of a more 80s horror concept then hey how many is it, how many of these have you seen only the first six <laughs> i don't think you said that but that's the concept of just six but there are many more beyond that yeah um, now, now you, you know it's let me ask let me ask you this and i'm a, in the list that you that you put out there um and of course i haven't seen all of them but i even i know a lot about hellraiser even though i haven't seen it uh, but I've seen a couple scenes from it that were uh, disquieting. Um, and so uh, what I'm about to say could actually apply to all horror movies. I don't know. So I'll put it out to the panel, which is you guys. Um, the one, And then thing, I'll take my answer off the air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that, um, that I noticed, maybe not Poltergeist, but... All of them, whether they are kind of have that existential dread or it's a very real, you know, a very real threat every 10 minutes that someone's going to that someone's going to die. Uh, there does seem to be a sense of inevitability to it, uh, a sense of like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Jack Torrance does. Mm-hmm. The hotel is going to get him. It doesn't matter what these college kids, what these high school kids are going to do. Jason Voorhees is going to get him. It doesn't matter what whatever happens uh, in Hellraiser happens uh (laughs) these people are damned and they're going to wind up among these demons and just tortured forever it doesn't matter they're like i I feel like in those films there's a real fatalism that i feel like you could say is in a lot of horror movies but not all of them i feel like that's something that maybe came about perhaps in the 70s with movies like alien um but the 80s really like just looking at the at the the list you put together again with maybe the exception of poltergeist yeah um i don't know it's do you do you see that in in those films that is specific to the 80s or am i just missing it when it comes to other other films uh i think to a degree that's that could be said um i feel like i put poltergeist in there kind of for that reason though because it's the one that (laughs) like the one of those that has a different kind of an ending where it's a mm-hmm. very like I don't want to say it's a happy ending but Poltergeist ends on a happier note it's more of a like it's not as hardcore of a horror film as some of these other ones on the list uh, but yeah certainly a movie like The Evil Dead it doesn't really matter what what any of them do which is kind of the reason why The Evil Dead and not The Evil Dead 2 I don't know if you've seen any of the other ones or Army Darkness is I've more seen my favorite because the second one and Army of Darkness I haven't seen the first one. Oh, okay well you're missing out I saw the second one you know, I mean, it's kind of. Now I forget when do they when do they need to be dead by? <laughs> by by dawn. Oh, got it. Thank you. Yeah, dead by okay. dawn. Yeah. No, I I'm think, sorry. That's a that's a joke I've been making lately. That's funny to me. <laughs> I, I say good, that good kind of thing <laughs> all the time, just to myself, and it doesn't matter. 
um, yeah, even going down some of the, the films that didn't make my list, but I, I put on here anyways, I think you can probably say that, um, it kind of just depends on what you're looking for in a horror movie too, because a lot of the films that I think of as being close to not being a horror film probably don't have that quality to them, which mm-hmm. may or may not be the reason why you might want to call it a horror film. Mm-hmm. You know, like I put on here, I don't know if you've seen a movie called uh, Near Dark. It's Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's her vampire movie. It came out the same year as The Lost Boys. Much, much better. Wait, which one's better? Uh, <clears throat> Near Dark. Oh, okay, yes. I haven't seen that one, but I, I, I agree with you. Well, one of them is directed by Joel Schumacher, and one of them is directed by Catherine Bigelow. So <laughs> yeah. it's I mean, up to you. The Lost Boys isn't a horror movie, right? You don't think of it as a horror no, movie? No, not really, no. But, I mean, Near Dark is more of a horror film, but even that I don't really think it necessarily is. But it, I think of it when I think of horror films, but... It's it's hard to say. It, it gets one of those. It's like one of those that, in my mind, blurs the line. It depends on how you look at horror films in general, which I think, I don't know. It can in a way it can kind of like, it can kind of depend on the intention of the filmmaker, like what they want you to walk out of the theater feeling or thinking. And with a movie like Alien, it's like that sense of you know total dread that yeah. Even though ripley survives it's like you leave the theater with that feeling and like that intention of ridley scott is like what makes that a terrifying movie to me versus you know seeing aliens which i don't think it was a horror film it was an action film because it's so much more about right you know the them going through i don't want to say it's like and i mean i guess yeah it's just a really dark action film where they're going through and they're like blasting these aliens apart and yeah there's people dying left to right but it certainly doesn't feel as dreadful as Alien because there's, you know, there's only one alien in Alien and they can't kill it. And there's like a thousand aliens in Aliens and they're just like right. knocking them out left to right. Uh, I, I'm really getting hung up on this idea of the, 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 the slasher film being the defining subgenre of 80s horror. And yet so many of the ones we're talking about aren't that. Um, uh, are there... Do we? I'm trying to think how to, how to say this. Is does the even though in terms of the sort of pie chart, right of '80s horror subgenres, the slasher film has the biggest piece. Yeah. Do we talk about it less, or are we talking about it less now because there's a sameness to them, and we and uh, you know, is one is one slasher franchise that much different from another like why do you like friday the 13th so much more than a nightmare on elm street or even the halloween sequels well i think that as far as slashers go i definitely intentionally didn't put a lot of them on the list because a lot of them came up and i was like well i can't only talk about slashers in this but it's certainly Uh like could easily crowd the list i think it's because the genre was more or less invented in the 80s like halloween i think is the first there's a couple other movies that are slashers but i feel like halloween is the first one where it's like boom like this is the act this is the formula and then all the films came after that because it's like you had your black christmas or other movies that are similar to slashers but not until halloween was that explosion of of slasher movies and so i think in the 80s a lot is the slasher decade but i mean i think that you know they get a large you know a large uh there's so many of them that you're often talking about them. So I wanted to kind of talk about other films too, but um, I think that a lot of slash movies, depending on what your tastes are, they're, they're all very different. They're similar in the sense that like, it's, you know, it's teenagers go into a place and then they're often having sex or, or whatever. Right. And, you know, a guy comes and kills them one by one. Um, and then 
the most innocent one of all of them is the one who stands up against him, you know, and right. either survives or narrowly escapes or, you know, what, or dies or whatever it is. Um, but I think that that quality didn't get really, it, it's, it's, it's still formulaic, but I feel like each one of them has a very unique feel. Like I like Friday the 13th because I like the personality of Jason Voorhees. Like Michael Myers, you know, quietly stalks people and then kills them very quietly. And there's just like very eerie, calm to him. He's never seems to be kind of having any emotion of any type. He's just killing people. Cause that's like the only thing he knows, uh-huh. you know? And then like Nightmare on Elm Street, he's like talking to them and it's a very different personality. Like there's the right. Freddy Krueger personality. Um, or child's play is also like a really talky, you know, slasher villain. Like he's like, yeah, just, I want to get back to, to child's play actually, but <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to hear about I was what, not expecting <clears throat> you to say that. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear about what makes Jason Voorhees, your favorite over Mike My- Michael Myers. I think Jason Voorhees has this quality of like, he has this like very like I don't give a shit quality to him. He just like it, he's, it not, seems he's like, not fucking around. He's certainly not fucking around. But I, I feel like, you know, someone gets in the way of Jason and he just you know, he f- he totally fucking murders these people in a way that like <laughs> like michael myers will stab somebody but jason Voorhees will like rip their head off and it's just completely on another level it's insane and like you know they get more and more ridiculous as the series goes on i think it's because in in the sixth one he like is officially undead he like officially dies in the in the fourth one and then in the fifth one it's like a copycat killer in the sixth one he's like an actually undead character so now he's just like off the rails crazy violent and it's something about that's really like kind of disturbingly entertaining to me like that that i enjoy so, that so much but it's the way that he i don't know his his personality like there's a scene where he just jumps into a room and rather than like quietly open the door he's like jumps through the door and the door explodes around him <laughs> <laughs> and it's absurd it's completely okay. ridiculous well we're laughing which is what gets me to um back to child's play and i know now we're getting into the 90s when i talk about this but the same thing is true of freddy krueger from what i understand as it goes on um that the comedy, and not that it's very good comedy in a lot of cases, if my mm. memory of Child's Play 3 is intact, um, but the comedy becomes more of a thing than the horror, than the than the scariness, yeah. I guess. And I think Return of the Living Dead does that as well, right? Like, there's gore in it, but that's when it they recognize, hey, that's kind of silly, right? Is because that, that's like for but, example, isn't that when zombies start saying brains? Yeah, that's actually right. the first and the Return of the Living Dead series, the only instance other than maybe shitty new movies um, where anybody says brains or any zombies say brains. Um, <laughs> and that movie is kind of it's weird because that is a result of John Russo and George A. Romero having an argument about you know they both wrote Night of the Living Dead, and that's like the first real zombie movie in like 1968. And then George A. Romero wanted to make his own movies and John Russo make his movies, so they. They split, and so George Romero got of the dead, and then John Russell got of the living dead, which uh-huh. is like a weird distinction. So I feel like Return of the Living Dead being written by Dan O'Bannon was like a much more it, – it has kind of a tongue-in-cheek quality to it because it comes after all of the other you know George Romero movies. There was like Dawn of the Dead and, and Day of the Dead. I think Day of the Dead came out before it or right around the same time. But then Return of the Living Dead's like kind of, okay, we've seen a bunch of zombie movies, and now it's – kind of the more tongue-in-cheek self-aware one um but what i'm what i specifically want to talk about is the idea that freddy krueger right. <laughs> mm-hmm. freddy krueger's like origin story is 
really horrific and has to do with like child murder and like, yeah. uh, like among other things yeah it's some really awful stuff and then by later in the franchise he's essentially like a psychopathic groucho marx <laughs> yeah right yeah and that's I, weird right i feel like chucky kind of starts out that way because like even in the first child's play like i just rewatched it last night and he's like just you know he's he's calling one of his victims a bitch and he's like attacking her and it's all very ridiculous it doesn't uh-huh. seem like they're even that serious about it in, in child's play one right but in child's play three has the part that it always stands out to me when he's gonna kill the guy i think it's like the the headmaster or whatever the military school yeah. and the guy has a heart attack <laughs> when he's and he doesn't get a chance to kill him and he's like a heart attack you gotta be fucking kidding me right <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of bad humor i'm talking about that comes to uh, to characterize these later yeah, yeah. slasher genres slasher films and that's like friday the 13th part four and on just kind of become or i'm sorry not for nightmare on elm street part like four and on become that that kind of a thing where freddy krueger has all these ridiculous one-liners and he's like <laughs> I don't know. He just becomes more. It, the series becomes more about him than it does about the kids in the movies, and so they become less and less interesting characters, and he becomes more the, the central character. But as he does that, he becomes more of a comedian, which is I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If if you go back, because I uh, many years ago at this point, I had to watch the new, the would be reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street. And I realized that I had not seen the original, so I went and watched the original, expecting one thing. Because it's amazing how many of these films are defined by parts five, six, seven. And then you go back and watch the original and think, oh, weird. Like, Freddy is not a wisecracking guy in the first film. Yeah, Michael Myers... Uh, I mean, he uses a knife from time to time, but he, like, chokes a girl to death, which is, seems surprisingly... Tame? Tame. Yeah, because you know? in, in part four, The Return of Michael Myers, he literally grabs a man's face and crushes his face with his hand Yeah. versus him choking somebody in a car for, like, 30 seconds. It's yeah. Like, it's a completely different thing. And so it's just, it's so interesting how i mean certainly in in many ways the violence got more extreme i mean even halloween from 1 to 2 like you watch 2 i watched uh the uh the egyptian a few years ago had the first they showed the first 3 huh. in one evening because obviously that there one needs to be involved <laughs> i mean it's a trilogy after all <laughs> Wait, 3 um, is in season of the witch that's yeah. the one that, so they did yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's anyway uh but and it, that season seen, of the witch is an indispensable horror film of the 80s right it's delightful i just I, watched it again I, last week. i love that movie. i love that movie but i think it's funny that they would have a triple feature and they would just <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they wouldn't just do part four it's like yeah. the direct continuation to two and so uh but in watching part two you actually because certainly the the masked killer who stalks uh high school girls it's all that's all there certainly in the first film but tonally there's such a shift the body count i don't know quadruples and each one is done with like a slitting of the throat or like a hammer to the head like just vi- like violent yeah. and gory and it's just so fascinating to see how quickly it jumped to that it boils two people alive and yeah <laughs> yeah which is it's like okay well that's that's creative um you just and get it's, out of the water but <laughs> i guess that's an option yes i like the i like to think that they're boiling in the water and he's standing there with a knife and like Oh, let's get out of this water. It's boiling. And he gets and he just inches closer with the knife. He's like, You 
you should stay in the water because yeah, otherwise I'm going to stab you with this knife. Another thing, but I think he does hold them under the water or something okay, like that. It's right. something to that degree. But doesn't he get hurt? It feels like his hand would yeah, get hurt. but burned. he's Michael Myers. He oh, can't right. get hurt. He doesn't care that much. But yeah, and, and so one thing that is interesting and in that in a lot of these franchises and just in the genre in general, um, how quickly extreme and one could say unserious everything became. Yeah. You know, like, uh, the way Freddie eventually became the comedian. And so then it's like, okay, uh, so I guess this is expected now. So now Chucky from the word go is going to be that he's going to be making wise cracks. But that, that, that movie came out in 88. And so you had like eight years of these, like mm-hmm. of this progression. And I feel like it almost came around the same time. Like, you know, the Jason Voorhees that everybody thinks of, like, he doesn't even have the mask until the third movie. Yeah. You know, the Jason mask or whatever. Mm-hmm. By that time, it's kind of escalated to that point of being completely absurd. And so it's like, maybe that's part of it, too, is that I love that, like, the the Jason that I think of is immediately at that level, which is, I don't know, kind of entertaining in so, a weird way. Okay, I have a, I have a question. Um, so this was uh, several months ago. Um, I had to review a movie for the website, battleshipretention.com. Um, <laughs> hey, if you I have like, the opportunity, like why yeah. not go for it? Uh, I had to review a film called Night of the Demons. It looked like, uh, it was review, uh, released by Shout Factory, um, mm-hmm. and I opted for it because it seemed like it'd be a lot of, uh, ridiculous fun. And... Knowing you as I uh, did at the time, and like even even early on, I knew that you had, you had a love for uh, '80s horror and that sort of thing. And Night of the Demons is about as '80s horror as you can get. Uh, and it was made in the late '80s, like '88, '89, right? Yeah. Right. And I remember I watched it, and we we watched it together, and we were laughing a good portion of the time. And it's re- I really. I don't think it's that good of a movie. It has a really awesome opening credit sequence. And some of it's... And it seems really kind of self-aware in yeah. the way that uh, that we were talking about. Because, again, it was late 80s. Um, and then it just devolves into just a who-gives-a-shit uh, standard thing. And you loved it. You thought it was great. Like, you just thought... Like, you were just smiling the whole time. And afterwards, you're like, man, that was really great. <laughs> it was and real thought, sweet. Yeah. And I was just... And Night of the Demons is not a movie that... I mean, I watched a... Yeah, I watched the special features and I listened to the cast commentary. And am, amongst horror aficionados, they enjoy the movie. But it's not a movie that's known really at all. Um, but you – so that – so not only do you know about franchise and stuff uh, – franchises and, and such, but you also know some of these smaller films uh, as well and you have an affection for those. So let's go with something like Night of the Demons. Mm. Uh what is it about a movie like Night of the Demons that is, to its very core, an 80s horror film? What is it that you found so appealing uh, in movies like that? I feel like a, mo- a movie like that, you know, there's a lot of movies on my list, like Return of the Living Dead, um, kind of child's play to a degree, but that, like Night of the Demons, are just, they're like a real treat to watch, really f- like just kind of fun and mm-hmm. charming. And even though I know it's weird to s- describe a horror movie as charming, but there's something charming about like a night of the demons where it's, it's not necessarily, you know, 
a, a great film or whatever, but it's just set in this in this horror world, and you have these characters that are in that movie kind of self aware, weird versions of you know regular standard slasher type characters, and something about that being in that setting is really charming to me when a film doesn't take itself too seriously because mm-hmm. it's it's pretty often for a horror movie or it's pretty easy for a horror film to to try to be too um too dark or too you know too serious and just come off as silly and so yeah. i think it's it's nice when a movie just is kind of aware of that still gives you the stuff that you might want in a horror movie like interesting you know creatures and you know kills and that kind of stuff but without being uh too serious i i don't know not really sure what it is about horror but i think that horror and comedy like go hand in hand really well it's like yeah that's why i think a, a cabin in the woods works so well is it's like it's funny and then it's and it's terrible and then it's funny and it's terrible you know and that like it's almost like that shift back and forth keeps you not really guessing what's happening next because if a film's too serious i think it can easily become predictable but if a film is like shifting tones all the time and being horrible and then skip you know and then kind of funny it's like you never really know what to expect next because it's not just the straightforward fair of either genre it's like a weird blend between the two of them i think both of them are are built on this idea of build up build up build up payoff um and in both cases there's even if you're watching a horrendous death it's a you get that a release of okay well at least i found out what happened (laughs) it wasn't a good thing but at least that's over and in the same way like uh i remember uh, David, back when you and I used to go to uh, the UCB on a regular basis, uh, I remember there would be times when you and I would watch certain comedians and you, y- only you would hear me. Right, yeah. Because you were right next to me and I thank God that it's that because I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, I'm glad no one else hears this because I didn't even know I was doing it. There was certain comedians who had a lot of buildup in mm-hmm. their act and I can't even think who it might be. Right. Um, I would have this, like I was so anticipating the laugh but not even consciously that I was just like, uh, yeah, I would uh, hear you making a noise yeah. leading up to like, eh, and laugh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it was, and I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like, Hey, here's a three minute bit starting <laughs> right. 15 the seconds. In, like, just, eh. No, it, but yeah, when there were a lot of jokes together, yeah. I could hear you anticipating one. Yeah. And so I feel like, uh, yeah, the two go very well together. And I feel like this, I mean, aside from, uh, uh, I was just on, uh, Jim Rohner's podcast, I Do Movies Badly, talking about uh, James Whale's Bride of Frankenstein. And he he knew how well humor could could work. But uh, but yeah, I feel like I feel like uh, the the 80s where I mean, people often talk about how it was a decade of uh, extremes and excess Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And that Certainly, there are a lot of excessive comedies, and there are a lot of excessive horror movies, so it makes sense that the two would go well together, mm. and excessive action. Now, yeah. speaking of excess, and speaking of the smaller non-franchise horror movies, I want to le- read a list of movies. This is just a partial list of the horror movies that were released in 1987. Okay. Blood Diner. <laughs> Blood Frenzy. Okay. Blood Harvest. Blood Hook. Blood Lake. Blood Rage. Blood Sisters. Bloody New Year, Bloody Wednesday. Um, those all <laughs> but, came out in 1987. But that, one, that last one was, was a, like a British workplace comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hey, how many of those have you seen? Uh, only one, surprisingly, which is Blood Diner. And that movie is just an absurd treat. It's th- one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen. 
Um, now what? I, what I, I don't know what I why I, I just when I was looking up movies from the eighties to talk about today, I noticed there were a lot in nineteen eighty seven that started with blood yeah. or bloody. So I thought I'd bring that up. Eighty seven was actually a pretty good year for horror. What else that. happened? Uh, you had um, Friday Thirteenth Part Seven. You had Evil Dead Two. Bad Taste. Uh, yeah, Near Dark was eighty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and I think that there was um, Cannibal Hookers. I haven't seen that. <laughs> I <neither have> I. <laughs> Creep Show Two. Creep Show Two. I still haven't seen Creep Show Two, even though I'm a huge fan of the first one. Oh, Stuart Gordon's Dolls. Oh, okay. Which um, Shout Factory or Scream Factory is putting out in like a week. Oh, really? Oh, nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, he was one of my teachers at film school, actually. Really, Stuart yeah. Gordon? Yeah, was? yeah. And uh, uh, awesome. Reanimator came out. Um, I think like '85 or something like that. Reanimator is on my list <clears throat> to talk about because Reanimator is fucking awesome. That's one of my. Favorites. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not seen it. It's it's so good. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know what else it's like. It's like Reanimator. It's, <laughs> it's, you can only define it by itself. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. It also has a great score. Yeah. It's like two notes different from the Psycho sound. If you play the two songs back to back, they're like almost the exact same, but it's still pretty great. Oh, while we're on '87, are you a fan of the movie The Gate? I haven't seen The Gate. Okay. Because I like that movie and I feel like it doesn't have a good reputation and I don't know uh, what it is. But it's about like, it's like about kids. Like, they're like, the the characters are like 11 and 12 12 Mm. years old and I think something about that like speaks to me because I feel like it gets that feeling of being an 11 or 12 year old. It's like... Like uh, Monster Squad? But it's more... It's it's more in line with Poltergeist in that mm-hmm. it's very much a movie about being a kid in suburbia, but it's also very much a supernatural horror movie at the same time. I don't know. I like the gate. Let me okay. Let me ask you a question, and this might be an inherently insulting question of what we are talking about. Now you mentioned the gate doesn't have a good reputation. I I, I could be wrong. I just feel like that that's the impression that I okay. Get. I mean, I I can picture the cover. Uh-huh. I know what the cover looks like. Um, Let's uh, let's take for granted that it doesn't have a good reputation. Again, I apologize for the tone of this question. What the hell does it even mean to have a good reputation in the eighties? Okay, if you're a horror movie, like what what well what is like? I feel like could, Reanimator does um, right. Po- certainly, Poltergeist, American Werewolf in London. We haven't talked about that's yeah. one of my it's favorite, not yeah. just horror movies, one of my favorite movies of all time. That's yeah, yeah, great. The Gate, by the way, on Rotten Tomatoes, thirty three percent. So okay. I guess I'm right. But most horror movies have like there's the rule like on IMDb if it's like five stars. On IMDb, I'll generally consider like a seven star thing. I always add like a couple stars in horror movies because there's people who watch it and they're just like so, you know, so negative about horror movies. Um, I feel like it just gives them an unfair rap a lot of the time. And I feel like that's okay. That's the thing. Reanimator, though I haven't seen it, what I've heard about it and a number of these other things, there's an originality to it that people appreciate. But then there's also stuff like the sixth or seventh uh, Friday the 13th that they don't have a they don't have a good reputation but our friend Danny here mm-hmm. loves Jason Voorhees can't get enough of him <laughs> and just uh you know and and so like the, i mean those films i mean obviously the the kills are uh can get creative sometimes um but those i mean those are not original at all and so some of those don't have a great reputation. Do you think, like, for example, Jason X, like mm. you even said, let's forget that happened. I watched it. I saw some of the kills. Some of them are, there, are creative and delightful. There are some pretty good kills, like the liquid nitrogen kills and like, which he smashes her face. That's, it's horrifying. That's horrible. Yeah. Um, can I, 
you get you just got me thinking about something about the oh boy. sort of the reputation I guess among quote unquote serious film fans sure or or whatever um, and that it's that horror is disrespected um, and I think you're right I, I don't think horror gets nearly the respect it deserves and I think it goes hand in hand with something that I like quite a bit and that often seems to overlap with horror movies which is heavy metal music uh, very much so yes which is I think. Heavy metal is played often by some of the most talented rock and roll musicians working today, but it's also they're working in a narrowly defined genre, uh, and it's something that is not necessarily pleasant for everyone, and therefore they don't get the res- heavy metal musicians don't get the respect mm-hmm. they deserve for the amount of talent it plays it takes to play a lot of that music. In the same way, horror, uh, unlike other low budget, you know, say. But as much as I hate the term, like, you know, mumblecore or something, they're the other kind of movies that get sort of churned out a lot. Horror depends on, um, like, you know, form and structure and some more serious, to go back to the beginning of the episode, some more serious film theory applications than just filming a screenplay. It's more than just simple narrative. There are... Uh, lots of aesthetic and and editing and again formal choices you have to make. Yeah. But again, it's being used in a somewhat narrowly defined genre that is not pleasant for a lot of people to watch. I wonder if it's even you compare it to heavy metal. And I feel like that is certainly an apt comparison. Uh, but I'll go back to what to comedy. Now you and I, David, ha- have talked a lot about comedy as a not a, not necessarily a genre, but like comedies tend not to get a great deal of respect, partially because there's different expectations. Uh, comedy fans basically say, "Did you make me laugh? You're good. Then you've done your job. <laughs> right. It doesn't have to be incredibly thought provoking. It's nice. It's nice to have a Doctor Strange love. That's great. Mm. You and I think." Dirty Work is also a great comedy because we laugh hysterically. Well, still, my top five of the current year still includes David Wayne's They Came Together. They're, yeah. Because it's, it's on the one hand, it's completely thoroughly hilarious, mm-hmm. but it also shows a mastery of filmmaking techniques and knowledge of yeah. film structure. But even, and frankly, even if it didn't have that, and, uh-huh. it, just ha- and it just had the laughs, not to be dismissive. In many ways, they just, go hand in hand, though. It, very much so, yes. Yeah. Um, Dirty work is not the case. That's the one I always go back <laughs> <Right>. to. It's <laughs> directed by Bob Saget. You got it. You got that part of it. Uh, but it's also very funny. And thus, for for us, it's a good comedy. Right. And I feel like that's kind of how it is. If you're a fan of comedy, then all it has to do is make you laugh. If you're a fan of horror, all it has to do is either scare you or like uh, amaze you with like some of the effects or whatever. Uh, gross or, you out. Or both. Gross yeah. you out, whatever. <clears throat> and then you're like, okay, got it. You did what you were supposed to do. I feel like it, you can't even – so that goes back to this idea of, of reputation. You know, I could, I could definitely see – I could see uh, a horror fan zeroing in on the wor- whatever people consider the worst nightmare in Elm Street to be. Mm-hmm. Zeroing in on that and saying that was horrible. And then a film f- – uh, and then a, a, a horror fan who loves the genre – just as much would look and say, "That's my favorite one," yeah. and both of them have a both of them have an argument. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know horror films are not always you know doing anything that involves like they're not doing anything that challenges people in the ways that 
they may think a good movie would challenge them, like gives them, you know, there's not really other than the obvious morality, there's not really a lot to be learned from a lot of horror films. It's sort of like you go into this place and then people get killed and then one person makes it out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I feel like for, um, I feel like it does touch on a really primal thing. Like it's people facing death, you know, in a large part. And I think it's interesting to see that in all a myriad of situations with different characters. I think, um, not, <coughs> I, I like to talk shit about people who like middle brow uh, stuff. <laughs> plenty. Um, and you mentioned the idea of like, not learning anything but i think the problem with a lot of stuck up uh i don't know npr types Mm. um in the movies they like you know (laughs) anyway those kind of people is that they actually don't want the art that they see to teach them things or challenge them they want it to confirm things in Mm -hmm. an uplifting way right well that's certainly something that horror movies won't do for you exactly (laughs) uh and i think maybe that's part of why they get disrespected is because unlike say a um joe wright film uh it actually is challenging in a way that might be might be uh lowbrow which is a term that i think doesn't necessarily deserve the bad connotations that it has i think things could be really great and be lowbrow um i mentioned i'm a fan of heavy metal music <laughs> um uh because horror can be lowbrow mm. and still be incredibly challenging in a way, Joe Wright is. Right. I think it can challenge you in a large, like it can challenge you by forcing you to try to watch it, like watch this. This is terrible. Like right, that right. is in its own way a sort of challenging thing or it's like, you know, face this situation. Like what would you do or whatever? But I think that, you know, a lot of the times horror movies, <clears throat> they they give you that kind of like lowbrow satisfaction or whatever. And they're not ashamed of what they are. Like horror movies are like oftentimes, especially ones that I think people disregard as garbage are usually horror films that know exactly what they are. They're a horror film for horror fans. And so they're not catering to a large audience. So like, this is what you guys want to see. So here's all the crap that you want to see. Uh-huh. And then uh, most people probably, or people who don't like horror movies, probably looking for something else in the film and their expectations are not, um, where the film, you know, where the film is at. And so I feel like they just walk away disappointed. And a lot of people get upset when a movie is a horror movie is like too effective. Like some people, if a movie is too disgusting or too, whatever they'll be like well that's a crappy movie it was garbage because it was so gross and it's like well that's what the movie's trying to do and <laughs> yeah. if it's trying to show you how horrible like violence is in this heightened world or whatever <clears throat> and you're d- completely disgusted that movie succeeded in every way in you know what it's trying to do you don't like that but that doesn't mean that it's, it's a bad movie in the sense that it's failing to do what it set out to do david your point earlier about highbrow and lowbrow and 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 then uh Danny's follow-up with what a film is trying to do and how horror, oh, some horror, and I'd say 80s horror in a lot of cases, uh, has no pretensions about what it's trying to be. Uh, you guys have convicted me uh, quite a bit because um, as you were talking about Jason Voorhees and you were comparing him to Michael Myers, which is the two, you know, the most obvious comparison because they're masked silent killers. Yeah. Um, you know, the way you described Michael Myers, and I, I think I probably still prefer Michael Myers because, you know, to me, he'll always be the guy looking at his victim and tilting his head and just like a child mystified by what he's done and that he'll just linger for a moment and think about it, but will never be able to process it the way we do. And I think that's fascinating. I think there's something really uh, there's almost an, uh, sometimes an ethereal quality to to him, um, and I feel like that's the David. If you'll pardon me, that's uh, 
That's a very NPR way of looking at it. You know? <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, you like the you like Jason Voorhees. He's like, I don't have time for that shit. I don't have time to just sit and look at my victims. They're dead. Problem solved. On to the next one. All right. Yeah. Just like you could see you could see Jason Voorhees. If he had, if he talked, you could see him looking at Michael Myers and be like, get the fuck on with it. (laughs) We've all got places to be, you know, and just, and it's like Jason Voorhees is the epitome of like what an eighties horror movie is, which is, I I'm I am what I am and that's all that I am. I'm gonna put this mask on. I've I got my machete here. Uh, let's go to work. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think it's kind of funny too because, <clears throat> like Michael Myers, in you know Halloween I think is the most uh, out of all of the slasher films like the scariest or the most effective at disturbing you because it you know it comes from he's this really silent villain that like you were saying just kind of analyzes what he's doing but can't really. Like, just like you said, process it. But, like, Jason Voorhees, you know, just comes in. Well, even the first one, when it's not Jason, it's just, like, she's got a job to do, and that's to kill everyone who's there. And on that one day, Friday the 13th, because that's his birthday. So she's got, like, they have to kill everyone on that day. Whereas with Halloween, he's killing people before Halloween, but mainly on, you know, mainly on Mm -hmm. Halloween. But he's, like, mostly trying to get to a specific person. And anybody who might be in his way, he'll take care of. But Jason is, like, concerned with getting completion you know everyone killed to avenge his mother or in his mother's case to avenge him or you know whatever and what's freddy's goal what's his problem Hmm, i don't know how does he pick his group of people he he picks they're the they start out being the children of the people who first murdered him so they're trying to kill all of the children and then it just becomes whoever's friends at high school (laughs) he just doesn't like popular kids he doesn't like kids you know what's interesting (laughs) uh you know there's a lot of things though Halloween sort of uh, set the template for the modern slasher film. If you look at it again, you know, he chokes people and stuff like that. He also drives a car. It's yeah. so weird to think about that. Somehow it's like, even though that means he can get places faster, it's not scary to me that he's driving a car. Uh, and what's, <laughs> what's interesting to me is that you're picturing having to stop for gas. Yeah. <laughs> Like flipping through channels, yeah, like to, station. He has to take the emergency brake off. You know what I mean? Or put it. It's like he has to find a parking spot. Let's look yeah. at it like that. Well, in the first Halloween, he's doing a great job at just slowly driving around, looking at yeah. people, and it's kind of interesting how they how quickly that idea got abandoned. Yeah, like, it's and what it, what's interesting is the way. I mean, this this happens with any genre and, and all that, but it's interesting the way horror started to just feed on itself because as time went on, Michael Myers became Jason Voorhees. Mm-hmm. You know, I, he, I think he still had a, a bit of a, a, a vague mysticism to him, but you know, as, as he went on and certainly in the, the, the Rob zombie films, I, which I haven't seen, but I've seen clips of, and they are uh, unnerving. Um, I'm trying to find different ways of saying uh, frightening. <laughs> and so, um, but in those, like he's he's just a big he's a big lumbering guy. He's a Jason mm-hmm. Voorhees type again. Yeah, but in in the first in Rob Zombie's first Halloween, um, I haven't seen the second one because I've I've heard it's bad, and I've just I have it sitting there in my DVD shelf, but I've just prevented myself from watching it out of fear. But in the first one, like the first thirty minutes of the movie is like showing him as a kid, like yeah, 
talking a little bit. You know, he's like a normal. I mean, he's not normal, but he's like this is like the before he sort of snapped yeah. version of him. And and I feel like they did that to try to make it, you know, to kind of harken back to what Halloween originally was, which was a little less than less less of the just mindless killer type, but more of the. Well, I mean, he is a mindless killer, but there's more of a human quality, a disturbing kind of realism to Halloween. I think that more so than in any of the Friday the 13th movies. Like, yeah. And in the new Halloween, they try to show you how somebody could become that in a way. And so I, I feel like it, it succeeds at showing you a more grounded version of a mass murderer than, you know, like a Friday the 13th would, which oddly enough doesn't interest me. Um, <laughs> because normally that would interest me, but there's something Donald Pleasance does such a great job in the original yeah. Halloween delivering lines that could be seen as cheesy, but the way he just says, I mean, this is a psychiatrist, a guy who's meant to see that like, Hey, mental illness, you know, the person can't help it. But he's like, this kid's evil. <laughs> Get him. Yeah. Just you kill know? him. As long as he's just, dead. As long as he's dead. That's all I care about. And just, and like the idea, and it's such a neat idea of, I spent the first, however many years trying to save him. And I spent the next few years trying to make sure he never got out. Uh, and I'm sure the subtext is, Boy, I wish I could have killed him, but then somehow then I'm the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and so I think, oddly enough, I like that. I like the idea that there is a that there is a person that is just the embodiment of evil. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the new Halloween, I, I feel like in any other film, like if they had a, a Friday the 13th movie where you have Jason Voorhees as a kid, I would just completely reject that idea. Like, it sounds mm-hmm. terrible. Like, I don't want to I don't want anything about him. I just wanted to go kill people, whatever. But in, I don't know, something about the new Halloween, it, it works for me where it, it it doesn't make you sympathize for him, but it just makes you think, like, oh, you guys don't know what you're doing. No idea what you're doing. You know, and then Malcolm McDowell does a pretty good job at playing uh, similar Loomis, but not necessarily, mm-hmm. you know, just hamming it up and copying Donald Pleasance. No. But I, I mean, I feel like it does a really good job at showing you this child and, you know, because he starts to murder people as a kid. And that's what's really interesting is like he's just one day he just decides to kill people. And that's yeah. it's pretty terrible. The new, uh, real quick. We should wrap up. Yeah. The new um, Nightmare on Elm Street is such a tremendous misfire. Um, although the casting of Jackie Earl Haley is, of course, right on. I, I wish it had been a better film. Um, but the uh, the thing that fascinates me is for a moment they toy with the idea that Freddy Krueger did not, in life, did not actually commit these crimes, but was still killed for it, mm-hmm. which would then motivate the revenge a lot more. Uh, and then they reveal that he did. And for a moment, I was like, that's that's very interesting, because that really kind of indicts a certain mob mentality. And it's right. not unheard of uh, that, you know, people when it, especially when but it I mean, comes to like crimes <clears throat> against children, like people psych themselves up about it. Isn't that, I don't know if it's about children, but isn't that essentially the case with Candyman, that he was... Uh, I did not see Candyman. You know, I haven't Candyman's seen Candyman fantastic. somehow. But he was unjustly killed by a mob. Okay, all right. Um, well, it sounds but like I, I think, like Candyman. But I think that's 1990. I don't think that's the Yeah, 80s. I think, I think like it is. 90. Yeah, so a completely different episode. Um, <laughs> but what I... What, so, that's the thing. What I What's interesting about Freddy, one of the things that I find interesting about him, is that he... I believe molested and murdered children, correct? Well, in the first, in the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. th- it never really gets to the, you know, molestation part. It's okay. just that he's killing children, which right. is so he's, terrible 
yeah plenty terrible on its own you know okay so let's let's uh let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's just killing children just killing them. Yes. so he's killing children and then the parents of the children kill him and then he comes back and he's like i'm gonna kill their kids uh is that that's is that what it yeah, is yeah yeah and it's just like so in a way that like I, it's it's like wow this guy's a real asshole <laughs> He feels as though I'm going to get revenge on them. Hey, no, no, they got revenge on you. <laughs> right. You know, you guys, pl- are, you guys are even Steven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's exactly. It's, I feel like everyone's the, the, the universe is nice and even now, uh, you know, I'll quote another eighties movie. You know, he drew first blood and just, uh, and that's something that always, like, I almost, I appreciate the, the character of Freddie. It's like, wow, this guy just has no sense of proportion. He just does not understand how things work. You know, this guy is just kind of a bad guy. I don't think I can get behind him. <laughs> which which makes him the fact that he becomes almost a sympathetic character as the franchise goes on. That makes that makes all of us wrong, I think, <laughs> as a society. Right. Because, I mean, you want to see him stop, but not, not that much. You still want to yeah. see the next movie. No. All right. Um, like I said, we should wrap up. Um, I didn't get a chance to talk about Phantasm because it turns out it came out in 1979. Yeah, that is one of my favorite. That's like in my top 10. Um, I've never seen Phantasm 2, which is the only one I looked at. The only one that came out in the eighties. Is that a good one? Have you seen it? Uh, it's, it's okay. It's does. It's really weird because, um, I don't know. I really like Phantasm 2, but the last like 10 seconds of the movie kind of undermines the rest of the film. And I feel like it just, it ruins it for me. And then the next two sequels are like, Phantasm's going in one direction. Phantasm 2 goes in this other direction. Phantasm, the end of Phantasm 2 just about faces just goes in this totally crazy direction and then the other two sequels follow. So I, I like it a lot, but um, it's definitely not as good as Phantasm. It's not as clever or original as Phantasm. It feels kind of rehashed. Um, well, now, you know, there's a, according to IMDb, there's a Phantasm movie in the works for 2015 um, written by Don Cascarelli and starring Reggie Bannister called phantasm ravager i only learned this today when i looked this up are you excited about a new phantasm movie i i am um i mean even as i dismiss the other sequels i'm still a huge fan of the series in general like i I don't like them as much as the first one but i think that they're all pretty interesting and i don't really know what that means for um i think ingus scrim did ingus scrim die or is he still i don't know because he was the the main villain and i feel like without him it'd be really hard to to see the movies you know in the same way, but I, I'm excited that he's taken. Uh, according some, to IMDb, he's still alive. He's 88 years old. Oh wow, that's incredible. Well, I mean, I'm excited to see what maybe some distance um, could do for it. And there's a lot of questions that I have about Phantasm Four that I'd like to, uh, you know, they they raise a lot of questions in the mythology of the series because it's all about you know this villain character, and they go back and they like give you a large backstory and all this other stuff about the world, and you want to some of it is. Maybe seems contradictory to me, but I just want to see what happens next. I guess. Okay, so now what's up? We we're gonna have you back to talk about being a grip and an electric, <laughs> and we're gonna have you back again when Phantasm Ravager comes out. That's perfect. To talk about the fan, do an entire episode just about the Phantasm series. I do have a quick uh, wrap up question. So uh, the movies that that you mentioned are movies that, admit, whether they've seen them or not, I think most people have heard of them. Are there any '80s horror movies? that you've seen and you know most people haven't seen that you would recommend off the top of your head. Yeah, I th- there are two come to mind. Um, 
already mentioned before near dark which is one of my favorite horror i mean not really even a horror film but it's one of my favorite movies from the 80s and then the hitcher which is i think one of the the finest hit you know horror movies in the 80s it's um, they they made a remake with Sean Bean. And it was mm. it was kind of terrible, but the original Hitcher is is pretty great. Um, and I, without knowing anything about it, I think you should just go into it and watch it. It's like one of my favorite classic like suspense slash horror movies, and it's kind of like a cat and mouse game. It's it's pretty amazing. Did you ever see the? Um, uh, did you watch Showtime's Masters of Horror series? You know, I was aware of it, and I kind of stayed waited for it for a while because I was afraid that it was just going to become sort of like a like a rehash tales in the crypt or something but then i heard it was really great and i, I never some of them are really great and some of them are not no. but uh you mentioned cat and mouse game and there's one that larry cohen did that's michael moriarty and another guy oh, wow. both play serial killers who have both decided that they want to kill Feruza Balk. So it becomes a war between two serial killers trying to go after the same victim. And oh, man. it's fantastic. I'm I'm game. I'm and so by, game. And by casting her as the victim, they become the, like the audience is on board with them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's what, mean. What about um is man managers? Does that count as a horror movie, would you say? I don't think so. I mean I always struggle with I don't that. like I don't like saying Silence of the Lambs is a horror film, but Silence it of the certainly Lambs has is, more horror. It's than more, yeah. 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 It's certainly yeah. more gothic. Well, yeah. Manhunter, regardless, is a movie that everybody should watch because that movie is pretty amazing. I agree Agreed. completely. So, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you can find uh, me and Tyler at battleshippretension.com. That's where you find all of the movie reviews and all the other crazy stuff that we write and, and all the all the podcasts on the fleet. You can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at the Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. You have to follow both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it takes. Um, and Tyler, your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. That's it's a, true. Is it More Than One Lesson dot com? That's correct. What's going on over there? Well, uh, we're wrapping up Halloween times with a discussion of The Conjuring. With the companion film, Annabelle. Pol- uh, Poltergeist. Oh. No, I did not. Did I tell you, real quick story, did I tell you about uh, uh, my, uh, my, my Annabelle story? Did I tell you that? No. Okay. Uh, my co-host Josh Long and I, we uh, went and saw Gone Girl. Uh-huh. And as we were exiting the theater, there were uh, some young people, uh, some teenagers, uh-huh. some punks, as I like to call them. Um, and uh, they said, hey, hey, hey. And I said, I walked over and said, yes, what can I do for you? I didn't, uh, you know what? I probably said that. Uh-huh. And they said, hey, can you, can you get us tickets for Annabelle? I said, ah, you don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what, why? I was like, that's probably terrible. And then I walked away. <laughs> and then I, uh, I think I, uh, described that as, uh, gonzo film criticism. <laughs> so. Uh, that sounds fun. I, I want to go hang out at movie theaters <laughs> and, uh, deride people's choices um <laughs> my little podcast is called hey watch this it's about tv uh you can find that at battleshippretension.com this week the king of tv paul goble and i are talking about adult swims mike tyson mysteries and the new usa series benched um i've only watched one of those so far so um danny where can people find you and your work on the uh, internet? yeah um people can just follow me on twitter at darth underscore cola that's pretty much where i i live on the internets where did that come from uh, I don't know. I was like high school and I was just trying to think of what would be a really cool 
really cool Star Wars villain. And I was like, well, I know it's silly, but like there should just be a Darth Claw. I don't even know how I came up with I'm that. I'm kind of with you. It sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. In sort of a more tongue in cheek Star Wars universe. I just imagine Darth Cola being this like outcast villain. It's kind of terrible, but you know. Now, uh, you have also, there are some, you've made a couple of uh, films that uh, people can find online. Yeah, uh, the only one that I have that's online right now would be um, uh, Catalyst, which um, was in the My Road Real competition. And I believe you can find that at youtube.com slash user slash Catalyst, I'm sorry, Caffinity Productions. Say it again. Caffinity Productions. It's Say the whole thing again. Okay, sorry. YouTube.com slash user slash Caffinity Productions. Caffinity. So like affinity. Like caffeine infinity. C-A-F-F. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen the film. It's actually very good and visually gorgeous. All right. And then you also made, I want to make sure, I don't remember at what level you were involved in that commercial about the... Well, about the jelly. Oh, the jelly. <laughs> I, I DP'd it. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the Polaner jelly um, all fruit commercial. We, it's, not, it's not jelly. That's the whole tagline. But uh, yeah, there's a contest for the new Polaner all, uh, all fruit commercial, and they put it out on this website, Zupa, and we won first prize. And so you can find it on YouTube by just searching Polaner all fruit, and it should be the, the only one on the, their official page. All right. All right. Um, thanks for being here. This is a blast. Uh, this is the longest episode we've done in a long time. Oh, my, yeah. So um, thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.